everyone. My name is Beth Davis and I'm Director of Education for St. Luke Institute. Welcome to part two of the Grace and Bias Forming Catholic Leaders Around Issues of Race webinar series. This series is a collaboration between SLI Connect, St. Luke's uh, education program, and the Catholic Apostolate Center and is made possible by a gift from the ACTA Foundation. Many thanks to John Sitko, my colleague with the Catholic Apostolate Center, for hosting the webinar today. I'll give you a brief introduction for our presenter, Dr. Michelle Haywood. Dr. Haywood is a licensed psychologist and has been a member of the Clinical Services Department at St. Luke's since 2017. She received her doctorate in psychology from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, Washington, D.C. campus, and her clinical interests include preventative psychology, community wellness, and youth emotional development. We're ready to begin our presentation, which I will note here is actually pre-recorded. Dr. Haywood will join us live for the Q&A after the recorded presentation, and that will be facilitated by John Sitko. John will remind you about this after the presentation, but the third and final presentation in our series, A Theological Reflection with Bishop Fobb of the Diocese of Huma Thibodeau, will take place on Thursday, February 4th, and you can register online on either of our organization's websites. With that, we'll begin, and thanks to everyone for joining us today. Good afternoon. My name is Dr. Michelle Haywood, and I'm a clinician at St. Luke Institute. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Before we get started, I would like us all to just take a moment to breathe. Uh, as a clinician, we like to start groups or presentation with some sort of grounding activity, something to all to bring us all to the space. So let's take a few deep breaths in and exhale. And as you inhale and exhale, suspend any judgments or preconceived notions you have about this topic. I want us to venture through this presentation with a mind of openness, ready to receive new information. So there are some topics that if you bring them up in certain settings or around certain people, you're sure to invoke a great deal of emotion. Some of these, some of these topics cause rifts in families or with friendships. Some of these topics you're encouraged not to explore in certain settings. For example, politics is one of those topics that you're told, maybe you shouldn't discuss that at work. Or religion, people have different religious views and beliefs. Money, money and salaries are also a sensitive topic. One of those things that you don't wanna talk about for fear of upsetting or offending someone. Another sensitive topic, one that we'll be exploring today is race and racism. Sex and sexual orientation, a topic that can raise some discomfort, giving critique and feedback. Many times when we are put in a position to discuss these topics, we avoid it. After all, who wants to talk about ugly and uncomfortable topics. Let's talk about our current social climate. In 2020, we were faced with the COVID-19 health pandemic. This pandemic changed the landscape for many of us. We encountered issues such as minorities and many of members from the black and brown community being um, disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. We saw changes in the way we encountered one another. We were also able to see a different side of the world for some, 
when we were exposed to images of race and racism in social media and on the news, police brutality, we've seen political discord and effects of all of those. So that social climate has impacted us in a lot of positive and negative ways. One of the positive ways is that it forced people to start having those uncomfortable and difficult conversations. So we couldn't walk into work the next day and, and act like we didn't see some of those things that we saw on the media or on the news or on our phones. We started having conversations about a very difficult and un uncomfortable topic. So the topic that we're exploring, race and racism. First, I'd like you to take a moment and just check in with how comfortable you are about talking about race and racism. So you can just jot down the number, keep it to yourself. This information helps you gauge where you are and what level of discomfort you have around talking about this topic. So what are some barriers to talking about race and racism? Some of these barriers may not resonate with you. And if you have others, please feel free to write them down. That's important data, something for you to be mindful of. But a couple of them that I will outline, vulnerability. No one wants to be vulnerable. No one wants to talk about those internal feelings. That's uncomfortable. Past experiences. Maybe there were past experiences in which you explored race and the conversation didn't go well or it ended in a disagreement. That past experience may prevent you from wanting to talk about race and racism. Fear and embarrassment. This is an uncomfortable topic. It produces discomfort. So maybe there's the fear of how you will relate or how you will engage or what someone will think about you when you share your ideas. Discomfort and defensiveness. Oftentimes we have varying perspectives when we talk about race and racism. People have different lived experiences, different beliefs and a different value system. So it's natural that the perspectives around race and racism will be different. Sometimes differences produce discomfort. That's a barrier to talking about race and racism. The potential for a negative outcome. With any conversation or talking about any difficult topic, there is always the chance that the conversation won't go as planned. And that can keep us from exploring sensitive topics such as race and racism. Underestimating your own biases. Oftentimes people don't explore the topic of race and racism because they say to themselves, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me. Or, you know, I don't have any racist ideas or beliefs or they feel like they can't relate. And so that basically prevents them from even thinking about what it would be like to have a conversation with some about race or racism or even exploring where do they fall with their discomfort around talking about race and racism. A lack of knowledge and awareness. Race and racism is a topic that is broad. There's new information as we learn and um, challenge ourselves to think about race and how it presents in the world. 
So oftentimes the information about race and racism is moving faster than you can keep up with. That might make it uncomfortable or anxiety provoking to talk about race and racism. So these are just a couple of barriers to discussing race and racism. And as I mentioned, if there are more that you all come up with, please note them, keep track of them. Effects of avoiding critical conversation. So this is just a little quote that really gives a vivid picture of what happens when people avoid those critical conversations. Frustration sets in, communication constricts, tensions rise, trust evaporates, and collaboration is done. So in this slide, I'll elaborate on some of the effects of avoiding critical conversation. So when you don't have these dialogues, you limit the opportunity for learning. There's always something that you can learn from what someone else thinks or what they believe. You may not agree with it, but you learn how they think and how they approach the world. There also can be a breakdown in relationships. With many of the images that we saw on social media and on the news last year in 2020, it was pretty hard to act like those images didn't exist or those experiences weren't part of people's real life daily experiences. So when you behave or engage in a way that doesn't acknowledge um, that that's part of someone's livelihood, it can cause a, a certain tension in the relationship. Perpetuate misconceptions or false information. Maybe the information that you're holding about someone else's culture or way of being isn't accurate. And when you share that information, it's harmful. Distract you from giving other areas your full attention. So when you need to have a conversation or engage in that conversation, somewhere in the back of your mind, that um, the, the idea of doing that is taking up a little bit of space. So you're not able to fully focus on everything else that you should be doing. You also trade short-term discomfort for long-term dysfunction. So what this means is in order to avoid being uncomfortable for that moment in time, you choose to just not be uncomfortable and potentially operate in a, a place of dysfunction. Why are conversations about race important? Well, one reason I think that these conversations are important is because we have to break the cycle. For so many years, race and racism was a conversation that has kind of been avoided. We talk around it and we're afraid to approach it. We're afraid to bring it into the different settings. And, and that hasn't worked for us. And so I think in order to do something different, you have to change what you're doing. And to break the cycle, we have to start having those conversations as uncomfortable as they may be. Depending on your role and responsibility, you might be placed in a position to have conversations about race or racism. If you are a supervisor who manages primarily minority employees, or if you manage um, a diverse setting, it will help the environment and help the culture of your office to have those conversations about race and racism. In order to make a difference, 
And again, in order to do something different, we have to be willing to break that cycle to get a different result. To educate and inform. When we have these conversations about race, we're able to learn how other people think. We're able to step out of outside of our experiences and learn about the experiences of others. We're informed about how things impact other groups in the world. To foster relationships. Relationships grow and are strengthened as you learn one another and as you are able to better understand one another. And having these conversations about race help you to better understand the people that you interact with. To increase your self-awareness. So we started off this presentation and I asked you all to check in with where you are with your comfort level about talking around talking about race and racism. And so hopefully you jotted that number down. And for some of you, it may have been shocking that, wow, I'm actually uncomfortable. This is probably a question that was never posed, but you now have this awareness of, wow, this is a conversation that I often avoid or don't wanna talk about, or it, it does produce a great deal of discomfort. To create a space of openness. In order to have that space of openness, again, depending on your role and responsibility, you may have to set the stage for employees to come and talk to you about their experiences with race or racism. Creating that space of openness also welcomes the, the exchange of ideas around race and racism. In my role as a clinician, I am often called to create a space of openness by bringing race and racism into the room. Many times I sit across from clients who don't look like me and I create the space of openness by acknowledging that we are different and I empower the client to share what their experience is working with a clinician that is of a different race. This creates that open space. It validates our differences. It also sets the tone for them to be able to share openly their feelings about working with a clinician that is of a different race than them. Why is it so difficult to talk about race and racism? Well, no one wants to be labeled as a racist or being racist or treating someone in a manner that doesn't paint them in a good light. So in order to avoid that, they also avoid talking about race and racism. But racism falls on a spectrum. There are overt and aggressive forms of racism, such as violence, which we have been exposed to in, in past years. There's also covert and subtle forms of racism, such as microaggressions. So I'll share an example. This morning while walking my dog, I crossed my neighbor and we said hi. Neither one of us know each other's name, but we know the dog's names. That's how it works in the dog community. I walked down the block where I was approached by two gentlemen who asked me for directions to 7-Eleven that were very respectful. They kept referring to me as ma'am and yes ma'am and saying thank you. And then I continued my walk. My neighbor ran up to me and approached me and said, I waited because I wanted to make sure that you were okay. And so I asked him, well, what gave you the impression that I wasn't okay? It was broad daylight. Um, I, wasn't, I didn't look to be in distress. 
He said, well, those two boys were down there waiting. And I said, oh, well, they weren't waiting. They were lost. They were asking for directions. So as an African-American woman, I have to ask myself, would this experience have been the same if there were two white young boys waiting on the corner? Would my neighbor have felt compelled to wait in order to make sure that I was okay? So these are the experience that, experiences that I encounter as an African-American woman. And while I appreciate my neighbor being neighborly and looking out for me, it also leads me to believe that there is some preconceived notion that he has about how those young men looked or what they might do that, that drove his behavior and drove you know, his desire to kind of wait and, and watch and make sure that I was okay. So when we talk about those covert and subtle forms of racism, they can come across in experiences such as that one. Oftentimes people don't talk about race and racism because they don't wanna be viewed as holding racist beliefs or exhibiting racist behaviors or perpetuating racist stereotypes. We all have been raised differently. We have different experiences, different beliefs. We've been taught different things. And so that is going to come across in different ways. And that's okay. One way that we can move past that though, or to take in new information is to talk about what our beliefs are and, and where that might, there might be space to be flexible and to take in new ideas. So I'll go through a few other reasons about why it's difficult to talk about race and racism. And so some of these, I'll, one of these I'll highlight on the next slide, but I wanna talk, talk first about racial innocence. So this is a form of denial and I, I hinted towards this a little bit earlier where you kind of remove yourself from the group and say, well, no, no, I'm not racist. I don't, I don't fit in that group. And so since you don't fit in that group, then you don't explore race and racism or how it impacts other people. Racial privilege. So the privilege that comes with being of a certain ethnicity. And I'll elaborate on racial privilege in the next slide. Racial discomfort. So there is a discomfort that occurs when talking about race and racism. Just like with some of those other sensitive topics we started off with, they can produce discomfort. But when you don't have the stamina, which we refer to as racial stamina, to push through that discomfort, then you prevent yourself from being able to learn and explore and see others' perspectives about race and racism. Racial hierarchies. There is a hierarchy in how people view certain races. I lived in Korea for some time and as an African-American, I stood out. There was no way around it. I stood out. But one of the things that I learned in Korea is how they viewed African-Americans. They viewed us as being at the bottom of the totem pole. And they really, really looked up to white American culture. So in the hierarchy, they placed white Americans at the top and African Americans at the bottom. So this idea of a racial hierarchy, while we may not understand it or agree with it, it has to be part of the conversation when we talk about race and racism. Racial attitudes, assumptions, and beliefs. As I mentioned, we all hold different beliefs, we hold different attitudes, we hold different assumptions. 
And some of those may not be a part of the popular uh, popular arena, but we have to talk to talk about them. We can't be afraid to get them out there. We can't be afraid to share them and explore them. We also can't be afraid to have those beliefs and ideas challenged. Racial privilege, white privilege. So the phrase white privilege often puts people on the defense. So if you're starting to check out, I want you to come back in. White privilege is not a bad thing. What I've learned when I talk to people about race and racism is that oftentimes people believe that white privilege means that they ask for this. And why you didn't ask for it is something that has been given. So oftentimes we're taught how other people are disadvantaged by race and racism. For example, Hispanic Americans or Asian Americans were taught how they may be disadvantaged. So if someone is being disadvantaged, there's someone on the other end who has an advantage. And so that's where we have to explore the idea of white privilege. White privilege does not mean that you don't struggle or that you don't work as hard. It just means that there is a benefit that comes with the color of your skin that people of other skin, skin colors and ethnicities may not have. So I included the example of finding a children's book or a cartoon or toy that represents your ethnicity. When I was younger, my mom said that to find an African-American doll, you might have to drive to a different state. She recalls numerous times where she drove to a different state to make sure that I had a doll that looked like me. When you are of other ethnicities, you may not even be able to find a doll that looks like you in the store. So that's a disadvantage. So I want you to, to hear the word white privilege and not get defensive or not get upset, but to be able to take it in as a, as a, a privilege and advantage that you have. But that also means that you're able to use that privilege for good. You're able to use that privilege to make change. You're able to use that privilege to step outside of your experience and try to understand larger experiences, experiences that you may not be exposed to. What it takes to talk about race? Well, it takes a safe space. Oftentimes people don't talk about race out of fear of being criticized or ridiculed. And I believe no matter what your beliefs or ideas are about race, you should be able to communicate them respectfully and safely. It takes courage. It takes courage to share your ideas. It takes courage to share an uncomfortable topic. And I want to empower all of you to create those safe spaces and take a risk and talk about race and racism. It takes vulnerability. We talked about this word earlier. No one wants to be viewed as vulnerable. We don't wanna talk about those uncomfortable emotions or feelings, but you can't talk about race and racism without being vulnerable. A desire to learn. In order to talk about race and racism, you have to be willing to take in some new ideas have to be willing to, to learn that there may be other perspectives out there that are different than yours and that's okay. Honesty and openness. Being honest about how you feel and where you may be misinformed or where you might need more information. Again, that requires vulnerability, 
but that will also help you learn. Respect for differences. You can't talk about race and racism without being willing to respect that we're all different. We have differences. We have different cultural teachings and practices, and that's okay. Best practices for talking about race and racism. I believe before exploring such a, a critical and uncomfortable topic, you have to do some personal reflection. We started off the presentation today during personal reflection by talking about thinking about where our discomfort lies. So are we uncomfortable? Are we really uncomfortable? So we started with personal reflection. And I encourage you to continue this journey of personal reflection, thinking about your experiences with racism or how you have responded in situations of racism. That data will help you to be able to talk about race and racism. I mentioned that it takes courage to have a conversation about race and racism. I wanna empower you to be brave and take that risk. Be mindful of your audience. Depending on what conversation you're having or who you're having it with, you may need to frame your points differently. You may need to share certain experiences to help connect. So being mindful of your audience is incredibly important. Is it a family friend or is it an employee? Identify your intentions and goals. What is the goal of having the conversation? Is the goal to listen and learn or is the goal to try to get your point across? If you're trying to get your point across, that may make a difficult conversation. So I encourage you to be clear about what the goal is before having the conversation about race and racism. Communicate to connect. And one way you can do that is by using the transactional model of communication. I will elaborate on that model in the next slide. When we communicate, one of our goals can be to connect. While sometimes the goal is also to share information, we also can share that information in a way that allows us to connect with the other person. So let's suggest solutions and provide a plan of action. So once you have this conversation, what are the next steps? Are you willing to share solutions with the person that you're speaking with? Are you willing to take solutions? Do you have a plan after you have this conversation? It might be helpful to generate a plan before you have the conversation and invite the other person in the conversation to help generate a plan. So the transactional model of communication views communication as a way to create and connect. The idea behind this model is to maintain the relationship we want there to be an open dialogue, an open exchange of ideas. So for example, when nurses share information with a client, they're just not sharing their information harshly or abruptly, but they're sharing, sharing that message so they can communicate with the client, so that they can build the relationship, so they can provide ease, so they, they can make sure that the client feels safe and comfortable and heard. And so when you communicate and have a conversation about race or racism or any other sensitive topic, try to approach it in a way that allows you to maintain the relationship or connect with them. 
Another example of communicate, communicating to connect might be using an analogy. If someone likes sports, using a sports analogy. Or if someone likes cooking, using a food or cooking analogy. So these are ways that you can help connect and try to focus on the differences versus on focus on the similarities versus the differences. Some communication tips, this versus that. So I encourage everyone to use I statements when communicating. I feel versus you are. I feel is less accusatory and it also allows you to take ownership of how you feel. I experienced versus when you did this. So again, when you say I experience, you're sharing your experience of it and you're not putting the blame or the onus on someone else. I perceived versus when you said. So it's another example of being able to take ownership for how you feel and how you are interpreting the situation. In a conversation, I try to think of it as a beginning, middle, and an end. And in each of those parts of the conversation, there is a way where you can invite someone in to connect. You can also use these com communication prompts to let someone know that you're engaged and that you're listening. So one example for the beginning might be, how can we better understand one another? And this is a communication prompt that you can use when talking about race or racism or even a different topic. There is space for our varied experiences. This allows you all to both see and to respect your different experiences. I will continue to reflect on the thoughts you shared. This lets the other person know that you're listening. This also lets them know your plan. So I'm gonna take the information that you shared and reflect on it. I've provided a, other, a few other communication prompts. What is something you want me to know about how race has impacted you? What was your first memory of or experience with racism? I think we have different perceptions about whatever the topic may be. I'd like to hear your thinking on this. I'd like to see if we, we might reach a better understanding about topic A. I really want to hear your feelings about this and share my perspective as well. So these are just a few communication prompts. And the last two, you can use those communication prompts even if it weren't about race or racism. In the first two prompts, those are questions that you could pose to someone else and also questions that you could answer. Steps for starting. Acknowledge the discomfort. So talking about race, racism, or any of the other sensitive topics, it's going to be uncomfortable. Acknowledge that discomfort, sit with that discomfort, and then push past that discomfort to have a healthy conversation. Be curious, approach the conversation through a lens of curiosity. What can I learn? What can this teach me? Childlike listening. If you've ever talked to a, a little kid, they're very engaged. They're really intent and focused and really listening on what you have to say. They're really listening to hear and understand. They're not listening to just respond. So when you have these conversations, 
listen to he to hear and to understand and not just respond. Understanding versus agreeing. You may not agree with what everyone says or believes, but you can listen to try to understand that they have a different perspective, a different experience. It is okay to disagree. Show compassion and empathy. These conversations can be very emotion-filled. They bring a lot of emotions up for people. And it's very important to be compassionate and empathetic towards other people's experience. Expression, expressing compassion and empathy can also allow other people to feel validated and to let them know that you recognize their different experiences. Move toward, do not avoid. So oftentimes we want to avoid difficult conversations. We don't want to talk about it. We've done that for years around the topic of race and racism. We've avoided talking about it. That hasn't worked. So move toward it, engage in it. Do not avoid. Give something back. When you have to have a difficult conversation, whether it's about race or racism or another topic, Give something back to that conversation. So if you're taking something away, maybe saying, well, this year we're not going to get bonuses. Give something back, even if that's in the form of a compliment. You've all done very good this year. You've worked very hard. We appreciate your effort and dedication. There's always something that you can give back to the conversation. Plan and practice. It's okay to write down notes or to think about the conversation or to practice it out loud verbally. I wouldn't script anything down because then you may become too focused on, on those notes, but talking points will be helpful in you gathering and collecting your ideas to share. How can you be part of the conversation around race and racism? While it may be very difficult to start having these conversations, it is necessary to have these conversations. Make a commitment to having difficult conversations. As I mentioned earlier, I made a commitment that when I work with clients who are of different ethnicity, I want them to feel comfortable working with me. And so I bring race into the room immediately. Participate in anti-racist training programs. There are tons of programs out there that generate information, share information about what you can do to be anti-racist, how you can take these trainings and techniques into your different environments. Educate yourself on racism and systemic racism. There are books out, out there that you can read. I will include a few resources at the end of this presentation, but there is a wealth of information out there about race and racism. Join multicultural organizations. One example of that is showing up for racial justice. Partner with organizations that serve underserved groups. So try to work with groups that will allow you to see the world from a different lens and a different perspective. We talked earlier about stepping out of your lived experience to see someone else's lived experience. And this is one way that you can do that. Principles to remember, stay calm and be centered. When we started this presentation, we all took deep breaths together. That was to help us stay calm and to be centered. Be open and flexible. 
As I mentioned, we all have our own perspectives and ideas and beliefs, but we have to be flexible in, in order to have this conversation about race and racism, or even conversations about those other sensitive topics. Use I statements. I statements allow us to take ownership of how we feel, think, and believe. Frame the discussion in a positive or neutral light. These conversations don't have to be negative. Think about it as an opportunity to learn and grow, which is a positive. Reflect and reapproach. If you have a conversation and you take some insights away from it, reflect on those insights. Reapproach the dialogue. If you have the conversation and it doesn't go well, reflect on what didn't go well and use that data as a means for learning to reapproach the conversation again or reapproach another conversation. Push through the discomfort. It is absolutely uncomfortable talking about difficult topics, sensitive topics, race and racism. It's not comfortable, but you have to push through the discomfort to be able to have those critical conversations. And I want you to remember that you can do this. These are a few resources, some books and websites that you can use to begin starting the exploration process around race and racism. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you all found this information helpful. Hello, everybody. My name is John Sitko. I am the Assistant Director of Programs for the Catholic Apostle Center, and I am here joined with our presenter, Dr. Michelle Haywood, to give us some live Q&A. A couple of important ground rule pieces. Um, A, if you have any questions for Dr. Haywood, please put that in the questions tab, and I will hopefully be able to field some of those questions for you. Another thing of note, and I will mention this also at the end, but we, this is the second in a series of three webinars, and the third webinar will be on February 4th on at 1 p.m. with Bishop Fobb of Diocese of, of Huma Thibodeau who will give a theological reflection on racism. So Dr. Haywood, thank you for joining us. Hey, can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Um, one question that, one particular question I think that people will wanna ask, especially given that we have a lot of people who are in Catholic leadership, Catholic, mm -hmm. um, you know, discussions that they'll wanna try to bring this into their communities, whether religious communities, parish communities, et cetera. For people who are not as, you know, who did not participate in this presentation and who are, are already at the beginning or thinking about the beginning steps of how to have this conversation about race, what are, what are some pieces of advice that you would bring to someone who wants to, to open these discussions in, say, their parish? For someone who wants to open these discussions and start having these conversations in their parish, I think um, first, again, as I talked about in the presentation, figuring out what your goal is. Who, are you trying to address a specific problem within the parish? Are you trying to just open the doors and have a conversation? Um, so figure out what your goal is. And and I was, of course, in the pandemic, so we have to figure out a, a safe way to do this. But I think um, organizing it as a way to have a dialogue, inviting all ideas, inviting questions, and um, hopefully engaging, allowing others to engage. So I often suggest that it might be um, help us to organize by age group. So if there's a teen group, um, you know, this is an area that teens deal with and they encounter. 
uh, if, if you want to have a parent group, so it's, it's okay to organize it um, by specialty. Parents often have difficulties talking to their kids about race and racism and explaining the issues that are going on in social media. So it may be helpful to organize the group um, based on certain information, such as you want to be parents or you want to get to a male group to talk about it so that the men feel more comfortable. So. I would say definitely think about the goals, think about the way that you want to organize it. And um, whatever you do for advertising, make sure that it's fun and lighthearted and that it expresses the idea that we want this to be a dialogue, we want this to be a conversation, we want this to be a place of learning. Okay. One question that someone has asked is, what are some of the best ways to place yourself in a group setting where you can be a supporter of those of another race? So what are some of the best ways to place yourself in a group setting where you can be supportive of someone in another way, someone of another way? First, I would make sure that you are comfortable and um, aware of the type of support they need. If you're not aware, um, identifying yourself as an ally or someone who is willing to learn and to support. Um, group settings are hard right now because, of, you know, of course, with the pandemic, um, but having a conversation with that person and asking what they need from you. So not also not assuming, but asking them what might be helpful for them. And then um, here's a here's an interesting question. Um, well, a lot of people, first of all, want to thank you for all the resources that you suggested and all the slides. So I just wanted to point that out to you as we're discussing. But um, another interesting question is, how does leadership in a ministry business setting encourage, encourage rank and file members to participate in conversations when rank and file mem members fear reprisals talking about race? Okay, so that's a good question. So I, I want to make sure that, that I understand it. So how does that person in leadership encourage uh, those that maybe they supervise to talk about race and racism and people, people feel like rebuttal or fear? Mm -hmm. I think one way of going about that is making sure that as a leader you set the example. Making mm -hmm. sure as a leader you set the example and set the tone. So last year when we saw all of the challenges going on in the media around race and racism, the heads of the company released statements and said, you know, race and racism will not be tolerated. We want everybody to feel safe. So they released statements to make sure that all employees were clear on what, what the expectation was moving forward. So I think as a leader, it may it may require you to reset. It may require you to write an open note or have an open forum with the people that you supervise around what the expectation is with how everyone will be treated here. Um, I often, I can relate to that fear of bringing up race to racism and fear that you will be you'll get in trouble or your, you know, superiors, your coworkers will look at you differently or won't be valued. So I've had those experiences in jobs where you don't want to bring up race and racism because of their fear um, of, of, of retribution or getting in trouble. But I think that's the only way to uh, deal with that is to bring it up. So I'm in a space where I'm supported when I bring up race and racism. And, my supervisors are open to my ideas about it, but it also starts at the head with the leader. 
Um, sort of a similar conversation, but in a different, or similar question, but in a different setting. How would, say, a teacher approach the subject with its with their students, um, especially in like, let's take for example a Catholic school setting where you know it's already pretty standard because most people understand that they're going to a Catholic school, for example. If you were teaching in a Catholic school, I think it's important first. I, I know that every every organization has their own policies around what can be discussed or what can be bought in. So I think that first, if you're a teacher, you have to have those conversations with your principal. Um, this also becomes tricky because we have a responsibility to parents. And so um, figuring out a way to merge it. So that might include giving parents an update that you, this is a conversation that you are looking to discuss in class, um, gauging parents, you know, approval. I, I don't, it works different in each setting, whether you can just do and deal with later or whether you need to ask questions. But there are so many great activities out there to talk to kids about race and racism. There are a wealth of resources. So on the presentation, the bottom link that I listed is, is just one link, but it links to about 200 different videos, um, articles, presentations, and resources. So I would encourage people to utilize some of the tools out there in order to be able to start having these conversations. But absolutely, kids want to talk about these things. They're talking about them. Kids in school are having conversations amongst themselves. I think it's also a way to empower them and include them on, in, in on the discussion. So as a teacher, seeing what their ideas are, creating a fishbowl, letting them submit questions anonymously to you ahead of time, but letting them be a part of that conversation. Um, another sort of related question is how do, we, essentially, I mean, I'll, I'll paraphrase this question, but how do we, how do we um, get people comfortable in talking about these, you know, more subtle forms of racism, not because they themselves are, are worried about the conversations, but they don't want to necessarily, uh, they have good intentions, but they don't necessarily want to, you know, say something wrong or approach something in, in, you know, hospitably or not taking the proper care and understanding of talking about some of these very complicated and very, you know, historical issues that have, you know, are now being addressed in a little bit more of a concrete way. So how do we get people comfortable with talking yeah. about it? Well, it has to be someone, first of all, who is willing to talk about it. So, you know, I encourage everyone when you are engaging in these conversations, ask people to listen to understand and not listen to respond. Listen to hear, listen to try to relate. Uh, but it the only way that we can get comfortable with having these conversations is by having them. It's uncomfortable, and that's just the reality. And as I mentioned in the presentation, we have to push through the discomfort. Race and racism is a very complicated topic. It's not neat. You may make mistakes, and all of that is okay. Be willing to be corrected. Be willing to be redirected. Um, be willing to take in others' perspectives and, and look at things through a different lens. But the only way to get comfortable with it is to acknowledge like I may not do this right the first time. I may pose a question that might be offensive, but please understand my desire is to learn or you know my desire is to is to better understand your perspective. So just owning and acknowledging that it's a messy process and that's part of the process. No, I, I think that's a great sort of 
answer and takeaway for this conversation is being willing to listen and being willing to, you know, be open to making mistakes, but more importantly, being willing to accept, listen to those, those criticisms or points mm -hmm. of clarification or points of perspective, which I think sometimes we just forget because, you know, especially us in the church, we tend to want to have the, you know, correct answer for almost everything. And being willing to make mistakes is a is a much trickier problem. It is. And I mentioned a little bit in the presentation that, you know, about the spectrum of racism and how there's this fear that you'll be viewed as bad if you hold a racist idea or a racist thought. And it's it's not that simple. So I, I don't like the notion of good or bad, but I, I change it to like unaware. So the world is changing and as the world is changing, the values have changed and the acceptance has changed and appreciation has changed. And that is all of the pro all a part of the process. And you can choose to be a part of that change by having these conversations. Um, sort of a take on like the first question I asked, but what are some recommendations you would have for handling these conversations at the parish level, or if there are any particular resources that might be helpful that you can think of? So ha having these conversations at the parish level, are we talking about with, with the different parishioners or with the people who work with the parishioners? I, I think we would probably look at the parishion, like the wider parish community, those who attend mass, those who, you know, come for various services or you know resources or whatever, but not necessarily just the leadership. Okay. So I think that is a place where you can tie in um, what we're taught uh, in church, which is love and we're taught acceptance and social justice issues directly relate to the many of the teachings in the Bible. So I think it's a great way to, to open that door. Um, if our practice is to love one another and to love our neighbors, what does that look like when we have neighbors who don't look like us? So how do we treat those? So I like to ask exploratory questions. So not simply yes or no questions, but exploratory questions. How do you treat the person who doesn't look like you or who may have different beliefs? Um, so I think there's a way to tie it in from a theological perspective. When we are, you know, it's safe, having those just conversations, um, having those round tables about race and racism, but also it may take for that leader, that person in charge to be able to be open with the, the parishioners about their shortcomings in that area, be, to set that example and break down the wall that, you know, I, I know everything or that I do it right. Um, so. It may take them sharing a sharing a story or sharing a personal experience or sharing what they've learned from all of this and seeing what you know what other people's experiences are. I think surveys are also a great way. They take a lot of time sometimes to organize. But if you have a diverse community um, or a diverse parish, seeing how they feel or seeing if there are members who feel like they're not accepted. So kind of gauging and using that as a tool to see um, what areas you could you could touch on? I think we're we're almost we're, we're nearing the end of our time. But if anyone has any last minute questions, feel free to put that in the questions tab. But I guess as as a question for um, sort of a takeaway, what you've already talked about this in some of the presentation, but I think as a reminder for everyone in this presentation, what are some of the first steps we should take when it comes to after this presentation when we talk with other people? about topics of race and and more importantly how to how to go about creating that safe space to talk about it 
self-reflection. So take some time and think about what you heard, what you learned, what you didn't agree with, what you didn't understand, asking more questions. I'm always willing to answer questions. Uh, I think you all will share my information. I work on these trainings. And one of the things that I hear people say is like, what do I do now? And so the what you do now is take some time and, and think about it. Um, you can address this problem one step at a time and be a part of the solution one step at a time. And that starts with thinking about your ideas or, you know, I mentioned the example of my neighbor who made a judgment based on two people that he saw and we still don't know each other's names, but every day that we've seen each other, we've had a different conversation around race and racism. So that right there is opening the door for him to be able to take in some other ideas. But I would start with self-reflection. I would also start with um, working on accepting that maybe what you were taught is not reflective of everyone's reality. Um, start seeing how you enact certain things in smaller ways or in your daily life that really directly relate to social justice issues. I think that just about does it. And I, I want to thank you, Dr. Haywood, for your your help in this, also bearing with us on some technical difficulties. But I think overall, everyone has very much appreciated this presentation. So I want to, first of all, thank you, Dr. Haywood. I also want to thank my, co my collaborator, Beth Davis from SLI Connect. Um, a couple pieces of additional housekeeping. So again, thank you, Dr. Haywood, for presenting and everyone who turned in this afternoon. We'll have a recording of this webinar, hopefully in the next week or so, that will be shared on our YouTube channel, as well as on SLIConnect.org and CatholicApostleCenter.org. If you would like to get more information, please sign up for either of our newsletters. Um, Catholic Apostle Center comes out about twice a month, covering a lot of these topics, and as well as other webinars and other resources that might be helpful for you in ministry, and those are free to share. Uh, Another piece of housekeeping, if you would like to sign up for our third and final webinar on grace and bias, which is going to be on a theological reflection on racism by Father or by Bishop uh, Fave from the Diocese of Tuma Hibido, um, or Huma Thibodeau, please register on either SLIConnect.org or CatholicApostleCenter.org for February the 4th. And with that, I hope wish you all a, a good afternoon and a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you.